Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig. I'm Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and our usual host, Matt Brusky, is uh, away in an emergency, but he's fine. Not to worry, but he'll be back next week. Uh, but our regular panelist, Rebecca Lynch, uh, Political Director or Associate Director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party, is here. Uh, thank, thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Just you and me, Robert. <laughs> yep. So I don't know. Well, the devil's advocates who play in this station manage to do it just with two, <laughs> so maybe we can pull it off. We need their charm and charisma. I'll try to bring it. <laughs> exactly. And sarcasm. <laughs> and Wisconsin voices. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is... Of course, the Marquette University law poll is out, which has an outsized impact on our elections now, and so we have to talk about it. So we'll dig into that and what it means about the horse race and the U.S. Senate race, the governor's race, and on major issues and what it means for Donald Trump. Uh, we will talk about, it's still in the news, the Kavanaugh fiasco or tragedy, whatever you want to call it, and what its ongoing implications are, and any further reflections Rebecca has about what this means, not just for elections, but also just for the Me Too movement and for the liberation, full liberation and equality of women in this society. Uh, we will talk a little bit, not in depth, but we will talk about, it's hard to ignore the incredibly shocking climate news of the week, which ought to change uh, politics dramatically and change the way we structure our economy, but at this point, it's business as usual in Wisconsin, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Leo Vukmir steps in it on pre-existing conditions. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then finally, we will close with an interview with Citizen Action Wisconsin co-op member from Northeast Wisconsin, Tom Sieber, who is a candidate for state assembly up in the northeast part of the state, one of the key races uh, in the state that we're working on and tracking. Uh, but to begin, Rebecca, we have the new Marquette poll, and we have the screaming headlines that while Evers was up five points in the last poll, now Walker's up a point, and therefore, horse race style, the, the horse has gained ground and is a nose ahead. So the, the headlines haven't been as bad as I feared, because they, they, uh, Franklin, Charles Franklin, the pollster, did try to say that it's essentially a draw, so at least he is sounding like an academic political scientist, which he's trained to be, that a one-point difference in this poll is no difference. Uh, but nonetheless, there may have been a shift uh, because of who's in the poll. There may have been a shift, because, at least temporarily, because of the Kavanaugh debate and the, and the right being energized. So, Rebecca, what is your take both on the Evers number? We'll start with the Evers number, then we'll go to Baldwin. So what's your, what's your take on the governor's race and, uh, and the Marquette poll? This is part of our ongoing series, Robert Hates Polls. So welcome back, listeners, for that. Uh, you know, I think on the Evers race in particular, well, maybe just to, to kind of pull on some of the things you said. One, this is a poll that skewed Republican. So the results, I think, um, reflect that somewhat. Also, you know, and we'll, we could dig in more on this in a moment, but this definitely follows national trends, particularly follow. This is during the height of the Kavanaugh fervor. So, you know, that's certainly reflected here. So in the governor's race, you know, we saw Walker get a bump. Uh, we saw Evers go down a bit. It really is like a change that isn't even worth noting, given the margin of error. Um, but what I will say is that we always knew that this is a tough race and it's going to be close. And that's why, you know, Citizen Action and Working Families Party and all of our movement allies, whether they're Voces or Block or whoever, are working so hard to try to get out the vote. And that, you know, this poll of likely voters that skews Republicans is 
it says exactly what we would expect it to say, that it's neck and neck between a weak, a weak Scott Walker and a likable, um, but maybe not the most charismatic Tony Evers. And so what it's really going to come down to is turning out the vote. So we're talking about a 3.6% margin of error. So that means Tony could be leading. Uh, he could be further behind. But it's a 3.6% margin of error. Anything in that is a tie, okay? Statistically insignificant, as we've talked about numerous weeks on Battleground Wisconsin. But it's a margin of error for this sample. And so you brought up an interesting point that Charles Franklin, the pollster, who's in the news every time he releases this poll, uh, said that it was a lot more Republicans answering the phone this time. So that could be simply that the, the sample was skewed randomly, right? Just, But it also could be that they're answering, that Republicans are right now answering more readily. And I guess the question, Rebecca, then is, is that a temporary bump? Is that really, it, uh, we, well, we'll talk about Kavanaugh more later, but just in this part, sure. is, that, is, there, is there a temporary bump and is it is it a bump that would continue to election day what is your thought well i think even if we didn't have kavanaugh you know what we've always seen um in this state and i think in elections around the country is that polls tighten up as you get closer to the election after labor day as people are paying attention and we said that back when there were you know great polling numbers for tony we said and and for tammy even though tammy is still very much up in this poll and we'll talk more about that in a moment uh but you know russ feingold was up in the summer, right? And so what we, we said back this summer when we saw the polls was, hey, they're going to tighten up, and, and that's exactly what's happened. And so, look, this is going to be a close race. Um, this is a Republican incumbent who certainly has a base uh, but is also very weak, and we are a divided purple state in many ways. And so, you know, I think the poll is, is showing us what we already know. Um, but that said, yeah, I think, you, you know, if you, if you want to be very specific about it, it seems like it's showing us a bump among likely voters, including likely Republicans, people mo most likely to watch cable news, um, which is not the entire electorate. And there's no further agitation on their side. All the agitation is on the progressive side now, as Justice Kavanaugh doesn't act like the moderate justice that Susan Collins promised us in her fake statesman, statesman-like or stateswoman-like speech that she gave last week in justifying her decision. So it doesn't show nearly as much movement, though, in the U.S. Senate race. So Leah Vukmir continues to drag. Uh, and you talked about Tony being likable. I would propose that Leah Vukmir is exceptionally unlikable. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, we should not take anything for granted with Tammy Baldwin. You know, she still needs donations. She still needs volunteers. Uh, but... You know, she is certainly benefiting from the fact that Leah Vukmir is so incredibly unlikable. And of course, this poll came out before the debate, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more later. But, you know, Leah Vukmir is running a race to um, rev up the base and throw red meat to her base. And it really isn't working with the broader electorate. Right. And there were a lot of people I talked to, even the devil's advocates who are on the same state. Obviously, uh, Mike Crutz, the owner of the station that, that Battleground Wisconsin appears on. Uh, that they were concerned. I was, like, as a former college and high school debater and debate coach, I was with Tammy, like, answer her. She's saying these awful, ridiculous things. And Tammy just does the Wisconsin nice thing and just takes her position. So Vukmir is calling her a liar, saying she's ignorant and ill-informed, stating all these fake facts that the right-wing infrastructure creates that aren't facts. And Tammy just smiles and is her nice Tammy. And who can argue 
with Tammy's success. Tammy is the most successful, uh, one of the most successful progressive politicians in the country. And so her kind of nice persona and just state where she is seems to work and wear well with the electorate. Yep, absolutely. And I think maybe there's also, this is an example of an advantage that, because we can talk about gender, right? Gender is a big, broad category, but there are big differences within genders. Like there's a huge difference between a Leo Vukmir and a Tammy Baldwin. And so, uh, it, so there are, is a certain style of, poli of, of woman politician who can be way more likable, I think, than, 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 than not only most male politicians, but a lot of the more kind of hardcore Margaret Thatcher kind of style uh, woman politicians. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, like I said earlier, Leo Vukmir's campaign on substance is really about throwing red meat to the base. And then even on style, and we, we've talked a lot about some of her more outrageous commercials that she, her ads that she's had out there. Um, and, and Tammy is very much, you know, running as the incumbent, as a stateswoman on policy, you know, is very um, informed, very principled, but is, is really like just coming calmly with facts, whether it's about healthcare, whether it's about um, education or any of the national issues that are happening in our country. Um, and Leah Vukmir is just, um, you know, trying to, as, as a challenger would, you know, jab and, and try, to, try to take away from Tammy. But it is tough. You know, it's very clear that Senator Baldwin has built up a strong reputation in the state, and she is running a real principled campaign. One other, I agree totally, and one other quick hit where before we go to break, I noticed the public kind of, you know, uh, inexplicably in the Marquette poll, will spend, spend more property taxes for education, which is great news, but will not tolerate a gas tax increase to fix the roads. So that seems like an inconsistency, and it will tie into when we talk about climate a little bit later. But any, any, any hot take on that inconsistency? You know, I think um, I think that people are pretty fed up with what's happened to education in this state under Scott Walker, and so they just are you know want to improve education and property taxes the way which they know how because most folks are probably unaware of how much the state has cut funding to education and think maybe even there are people who think that education is solely funded by property taxes. I, I'm not sure what to make of people being against the gas tax um, to fix the roads. I think people want to fix the roads, but folks are very much against regressive tax, taxes like that. And I think um, the gas tax has just been something that is so easy to rail against. It's pretty unpopular. Great point that's regressive. I, I bet the popular Charles Frank would ask whether Foxconn will fix the roads and give back a couple of a little bit of its $4 billion. Uh, but with that, we have to go to break. We'll be right back here on Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action Wisconsin. I'm joined uh, by Rebecca Lynch, the Associate Director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party, and Matt Brusky is not with us this week, but he'll be back next week. Uh, so we talked about the all-important Marquette poll, which has got everyone's attention this week here in Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, but we're still not over the Kavanaugh situation and the uh, Christine Blasey Ford and, and the other, uh, other women who bravely came forward. And we're also still worried about the implications of this. And so, Me Too, this was very shocking. I listened to huge portions of the Senate debate and listened to the fake statesman and stateswomanly speeches um, on the other side. Uh, 
it seems that Me Too now means that the woman gets to speak and then get ignored entirely and that political considerations matter more and that we had this truncated FBI investigation that was a fig leaf. In fact, they didn't want to find anything uh, so that they could rat justify getting this guy onto the court as quickly as possible so that they can have two Supreme Court appointments when they really deserve one based on national elections, so highly undemocratic at that level, and because they want to tilt the court for three decades and start to invalidate laws they're not able to repeal, like the Affordable Care Act. Uh, but where does, before we go into the political implications, because it seems to have energized the right, so the right feels that, as President Trump said, there's it's a hard time for young men, young white men in, in America, because they're all going to be falsely accused now, which is what I heard on Rush Limbaugh and I heard on Sean Hannity. No evidence for this, right? Just uh, literally, you know, fear, fear mongering and patriarchy, for want of a better word, of the worst kind. Uh, so, do you have any reflections on where we go from here? It seems like it was better, which isn't saying much than the Anita Hill situation, that Christine Blasey Ford was treated with great more deal more respect than that, and that they they didn't even feel like they could interact with her, the, the, the Republican senators, and not look bad. But we still had a bunch of baby boomer and older, greatest generation, octogenarian, white Republican U.S. senators make this decision, basically. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really remarkable, and I think the reverberations... Um are ongoing and they impact so many things. So, you know, the impact on the midterms, we'll talk about in a bit, as Robert mentioned, um, the impact on the Supreme Court is, you know, remarkable. And, I, you know, there are stories now about all of the, you know, pro-choice and, you know, women's rights groups around the country just gearing up for an attack on Roe v. Wade, um, attack on, on choice. And so that's... Which Susan Collins has guaranteed us is not a problem. Right, right. <laughs> so that that's pretty frightening. Um, and, you know, there's there's going to be an impact uh, on the law of the land in, in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about healthcare. We'll talk about other things. Um, but then in addition to the impact in the midterms and the impact on the law, there's the impact on the national psyche, um, particularly among women and male survivors. And I think... Um, we did see a huge backlash um, after Anita Hill. We saw the quote-unquote year of the woman, all of these women who ran for office. I think we've been seeing that since the presidential election. Um, more and more women candidates are running. Many of them are Citizen Action Co-op members in the state, really exciting folks running for office. Yeah, it's, it, well, first of all, I think it's different from Anita Hill in that it's 2018, so the times are different. Second, you know, Dr. Ford is a white woman, which I think is um, mm -hmm. a big difference. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're right. It was a handful of white white men in like our white male minority rule um, system in this country, aided and abetted by you know some women, um, white women, who you know sided with these men. Um, to get this justice through rather than with their own constituents. And, you know, I think what we saw throughout the confirmation hearings um, and the subsequent, you know, the investigations and the interviews, I think we'll continue to see, which is a culture of disruption 
And I know that the Fox News propaganda machine is really going um, in, into overload here, trying to fearmonger and say, you know, Democrats are, are radical. Someone's going to get killed. That's what Laura Ingram was saying last night. They have Fox News on at the gym that I work out at. And um, I sample her anyway. <laughs> we do need to know what she's saying. We do. And it's, yeah. it's wild. Um, and so, you know, really, really trying to, to scare folks about the radical left, so, so-called radical left. But, you know, we, that's not what we saw. We saw a lot of peaceful protests, but we saw disruption. And we're going to continue to see disruption. There's a movement um, called Black Fridays. Uh, on Fridays, we wear black, and women are doing everything from civil disobedience to disrupting business as usual, to walking out of the job, to doing slowdowns, to coming together in healing circles, to protesting. Um, and of, of course, electoral work, and that's going to be every Friday from now until you know the official-ish Black Friday on November 23rd. And this is about disrupting capitalism and disrupting politics as usual. And so I think that is something that we'll see more of. Um, just uh, in addition to the electoral consequences we're about to talk about, I think we'll see more folks breaking from the electoral consequences because what's so clear after the Kavanaugh confirmation is that the political system is just almost impenetrable in some ways for the vast majority of Americans to influence. You know, if they can just force this confirmation through in spite of all of the information we found out against them, all of the opposition, that it really is not a democracy. And so I think we've got to find other ways to influence the system. So before we dig into the electoral implications, we may need to bleed into the next segment a little bit because there's, there's so much here. Uh, you raised the whole issue around disruption. And there is some hand-wringing that the screaming in the Senate gallery, the mobbing, quote-unquote, that the right-wing term, I shouldn't say that, the, the, the uh, you know, uh, confronting U.S. setters and elevators and the like, like, like Orrin Hatch, is counterproductive. But the problem here is, what is the alternative when they hold all the power and they're willing to use it ruthlessly? Would we rather there was no protest whatsoever and this just went through, right? In other words, with Democrats getting critiqued for not fighting strongly enough, imagine the critique if it wasn't for the protests, right? Uh, so there's that question. So if there's a better way, obviously it'd be better to have part of power and be able to block it, and that's we need to win elections. But absent that, there's, no, there's almost no approach other than resistance, and they will use the tools available to try to call it a mob, to try to use it to their advantage. That's just that's the, that's the way it's going to go. There is a problem that it's not just some narrow elite in control of the Senate without any base. You see, the reason we need the Me Too movement is is because uh, there really is uh, a, a lot of old traditional views about gender relations out there and that a huge portion of our society, including it appears, uh, most Republicans hold it. And so that's partly why they can act this way. And so there still needs to be a lot of changing of minds in all of this, and that's why you need social movements in the first place. I think you raised a fascinating question on race as to whether the whether I was overstating the difference between Anita Hill, how she was treated, and, and Christine Blasey Ford because of the racial dynamic. You know, Saturday Night Live, because sometimes comedy gets at the stuff better. Uh, did you see how they uh, depicted Schumer? No, no. Well, they had him with the glasses at the end of his nose yeah. and made that all funny, right? But he was said first of all, he was saying, "Oh, we're we're Democrats, so we expect to lose." So <laughs> it's unfortunate. But then he says, he says, "Well, we thought we had a better chance because Dr. Blasey Ford is white." <laughs> there you go. But then we found out, unfortunately, that so is Judge Kavanaugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so that sort of nullified the advantage. So it was kind of... That's very funny, yeah. <laughs> so uh, almost as funny as the Matt Damon, uh, you know, I'm taking this up to 15 and <laughs> screaming the previous week. Yeah, I do think, you know, the, the respectability question um, that folks try to push is really interesting. And I think, you know, where we first saw, obviously this is not new, um, confronting folks where, where they're at when they when they commit egregious actions in positions of power. But where we really started to see it during the Trump administration was around immigrant rights, where they were caging children at the border, separating families. ICE has been ramped up into this, you know, domestic security force that just picks up people on American soil and disappears them. And so uh, we saw, you know, the the head of Homeland Security being confronted in a restaurant. And Republicans are like, this is horrible. If no one could eat at any restaurant, what happens then? And then, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was politely asked to leave another restaurant shortly thereafter. And so there's this, like, growing fear among the right-wing Fox News machine that powerful people will not be able to go to fancy restaurants without someone saying, hey, you're doing really terrible things <laughs> and interrupting their meal. And I think that really kind of shows that the, the, the economy there, someone having a fancy meal, you know, uninterrupted by a human being near them who says, hey, you're doing terrible things versus families being separated versus women losing their right to choose versus survivors being told that their experience is invalidated. Um, like, which is more egregious? And I think, you know, when we think about that, we often don't think of the moment we're in as a moment of great history. But if we think about moments in history of the past where there's been these terrible injustices performed by governments or um, other people in power, you try to imagine yourself in the room with that person. What would you do? What would you say? That's what these people are doing and saying. And it's human. And, and we should not, not only applaud them, but understand, like, how could you do anything but that? Yeah, it's about their right to comfort, not about, uh, you know, if you want to, if you don't want to be protested, maybe you shouldn't do something that is so outrageous to, to at least half the population, probably more, right? Uh, but it reminds me, as we go to break, a little bit of, in the Gilded Age in the late 19th century when we were getting this super rich that was eating huge fancy meals in fancy restaurants. There were street children starving all over the streets and they would stand in the windows and look at the feasts. And so the solution was not to feed the children but to make sure the police cleared them away from the windows so it wouldn't disturb uh, you know, the, the gluttonous robber baron. So it reminds me a little bit of that. Uh, but we have to go to break here in Battleground Wisconsin and we'll pick up on the uh, moving forward implications of the the Kavanaugh appointment, and then we will also get into that weird Vukmir, Leah Vukmir thing in the debate around pre-existing conditions, but more in just a minute. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen National Wisconsin, joined by Rebecca Lynch, the Associate Director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And we were talking about the Kavanaugh situation. We talked about the movement implications but we didn't fully get into what does this mean around the blue wave? There are uh, kind of anxious pundits on the cable shows uh, punditizing that this is the end of the blue wave, that now we have energized the red uh, male Republican conservatives who fear that the Me Too movement is going to imprison all of them or something, right? And that uh, Judge Kavanaugh is this good man. I'm glad they can all determine that, who's... who's and it definitely didn't happen, but it might have happened as uh, Susan Collins did tell us that it, it might, someone else who looks like Brett Kavanaugh might have done it. That was in her stateswomanly speech. Uh, by the way, I should say on Collins that Maine People's Alliance, uh, the People's Action affiliate in Maine, Citizen Action Wisconsin, all part of People's Action. They, they're the ones who had the whole setup where 
$2.8 million goes to Collins's opponent if she, it's a Kickstarter thing, if she, a crowdfunding thing, if she votes uh, for Kavanaugh. And so that happened. But he, his reflection is, because they, they and everyone else, they had a ton to try to influence her, that she already had a pre-deal with Trump before Trump appointed Kavanaugh, so that this was already a done deal with Collins. But be that as it may, uh, do you think that there is now a red wave of outrage that is going to balance the blue wave and prevent Democrats from picking up Congress, picking up governorships, et cetera? Well, I do think, and I've always thought, and I've said on many shows and in meetings and publicly and privately for the past year, that we on Democrats and folks who are supporting Democratic candidates, even if you don't consider yourself a Democrat, um, in the midterms in Wisconsin need to take very seriously the importance of doing field and communicating with voters and getting voters out. And I have been concerned for a long time that because the polling was generally good and people are talking about the blue wave, that some campaigns are resting on their laurels and not doing as much field. Now, what's great is that we have a number of really wonderful candidates. Um, the Senate Democratic Caucus has done a great job um, recruiting and supporting strong candidates for state Senate. We have awesome candidates running for assembly all over the state, many of them Citizen Action Co-op members, and then the Senate, of course, Julie Henze is a Citizen Action Co-op member. Oh, and of course, Jeff Smith. Um, but, you know, in those districts, people are knocking on doors for those candidates, and there's activity. But what I'm seeing in Milwaukee and elsewhere outside of those districts is there's very little activity. And so we really need everyone who's listening and everyone that we know to not only go out and vote, but to, in the last, you know, we're, we're taping on Thursday, Tuesday of this week was four weeks until election day. This is the final stretch, and then no one's going to bother you through the holidays. But now is the time we've really got to get people out to vote. And so if you're looking for ways to volunteer, encourage you, obviously, to check out the Citizen Action um, co-op page and Facebook and, and website, but also with the Wisconsin Working Families Party, of which this in action is a very important part, um, through Wisconsin's Choice and elsewhere, we're canvassing every weekend, we're texting about health care in the, you know, in relation to November 6th and the governor's race, um, you know, every day of the week, really, but we have texting Tuesdays and Thursdays in particular, you can do it from home, you can do it from anywhere in the state, really, please get involved, and you can find us on social media, but this is really critical, and I think just to kind of go back and fully answer your question, you know, the right wing base is more motivated now than they were pre-Kavanaugh, but that is always a motivated base in midterm elections. And if there is truly going to be a blue wave, it can't just be about our base being motivated. It has to be about getting folks out to vote. And I, I want to win over independence, and I want to persuade people who are maybe kind of in the fence, and we talk a lot in the show about women and where women in the suburbs are going to go. But in particular, you know, we've got to talk to Democrats, Democrats who don't always vote in midterms. And that requires, you know, not just TV commercials, not, I don't have a TV, not everybody has a TV. It requires not just polling where not everyone has a landline or answers phones. You got to go knock on doors and you got to take field seriously. And so I hope that the polling and Kavanaugh and the, the national surge of right wing, um, right wing energy is going to remind folks on the Democratic side that field really wins and we've just got to go knock on every door. And maybe, and I know we're going to jump to another issue, but you raise a really good point, man. We need to spend more time on Battleground Wisconsin before the election on this. Uh, and thanks for the, the pitch, because we need pitches, right? That polling shows an energized base, volunteer shifts don't. And so there's a conundrum I really do worry that progressives have begun to think that 
putting things on Facebook and being angry is enough. When in fact, with all the money they have for paid communication, I get a mailer every two days from Americans Prosperity or the Republican Party with, with, with sleazy lies about Tony Evers, right? When they have all that money, the only alternative is us, you know, actually, uh, you know, getting out in the doors, getting on the phones, et cetera. And if we don't do that, then we can scream as loud as we want on Facebook. It won't matter. But let, let's go to that. Speaking of screaming loudly, though, because I think we should focus on that more as we lead into the election and, and start to get to GOTV. Uh, the Vukmir-Baldwin debate was unbelievable. And I'll confess, I had a three-hour climate meeting, and we'll mention that issue in a, in a second after in the next segment. So I didn't see it live, but I got up in the morning not hearing news reports and watched it on YouTube. And I literally had to replay uh, it multiple times, because you couldn't do that if you were watching live, right, to understand, see if I understood what Vukmir said directly. This, the whole thing started out with healthcare, which is great for us, great for progressives. They, right wing can't win on healthcare, okay, folks? But Vukmir said, she, Baldwin, talks about pre-existing conditions. Uh, do you understand what, uh, what happens? Under federal law right now, and Senator Baldwin, I don't know if it is because you are ignorant of this or it's because you are trying to deceive people on the, pre, um, on the pre-existing condition issue, but here's the real issue. Under federal law before Obamacare, people with pre-existing conditions were covered. They were covered under Medicare, Medicaid, and they were covered under their private insurance through their employer. Okay, that's the first part of the quote. It's like, huh? All, it, it's the biggest issue that caused the passage of the ACA, prevented them from repealing it, and it's been made up. It never happened. If Obamacare goes away today, Vukmir continues, guess what? People will still have coverage for pre-existing conditions. So Senator Baldwin is lying, and she is lying to the people of the state. And this is a big lie that is being perpetrated across the country about pre-existing conditions. Look, I would fall in front of a truck before I would let people without, uh, be, go without coverage for pre-existing conditions. She'd fall in front of a truck. <laughs> she would, and she's a nurse, and she'll protect us. It goes on. But, you know, there's climate denial, which we'll get to. They're so worried about this issue because the Marquette poll shows 93% considered an important issue going to the election in Wisconsin. That's, a, that's an unheard of number, 93%. That not only is she just like dissembling like Walker and claiming I'll protect people, she's denying it ever happened. Yeah, yeah, that's remarkable. It, it, it's a huge issue. And I think, you know, we've been, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've been doing um, texting statewide about healthcare and people are, you know, just as a volunteer, I've been doing it as a volunteer as well. And like, People are really responding um, strongly about how they feel about the healthcare system, their personal experiences. It's going to be a huge motivator for why a lot of folks vote up and down the ballot. Um, and I think Republicans should be worried, but they're certainly pulling out all the stops that try to muddy the waters and make it seem as if they are the pro-healthcare uh, candidates. And the other part of the debate was, of course, they're trying to, to scare people about Medicare for all. And Tammy has a much stronger position than Tony Evers. Though Tony Evers' position has improved this week, we should talk next week about his prescription drug position, which is very bold and which is, which is taking on a huge special interest. But Tammy's four square for Medicare for all and defends it outright. And so Vukmir in the debate is trying to say, you're taking everyone's health care away, you're getting rid of private insurance, you're, get, you're getting rid of Medicare. And it was part of the debate where I was concerned because Tammy was just take, taking her position, not answering her point by point. So finally, when Leah Vukmir is combative towards the end of the debate and is saying, she's going to gut Medicare, 
uh, Tammy finally just says and gets laughter in the audience. You have to sign the audience. She goes, well, apparently Leah Vukmir expanding Medicare is getting rid of Medicare, which is literally the position. And then Fuqua says, you're like, have you read the bill? Have you read the bill? <laughs> I don't even really know. what. To, it's, it's probably not even really worth our time to keep talking about Leah Vukmir. She just seems like such a disaster of a candidate. Well, I think we might talk about her this way. She expresses what Scott Walker is too savvy a politician to express, but he believes it too. Mm-hmm. If he cared about pre-existing discrimination, he wouldn't have tried to sabotage health care for seven and a half years. He didn't give a damn about it. Now he politically gives a damn about it. It doesn't apply to a thing once we give him, if the voters give him four more years. So Leah Vukmir, in a way, is the unvarnished reality <laughs> of the right. This is what you really get. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and meanwhile, you know, they're pulling out all the stops to try to gut the ACA uh, in court and and everywhere they can. So, so we just have a minute before break this time, but the climate news, which we need to talk about next time some more, this could be of a preview, indicates this is a UN uh, panel of it's like a study of studies, top scientists looking at the top research finds that it's way worse that we're going to get the genocidal impact of climate change by 2040, and that we basically have till 2030 to radically reconstruct our economy and change our energy system. Meanwhile, trains roll by the Citizen Action Office full of coal with no change, and every year the government, including local and state government, uh, literally continue business as usual. So, you know, you as a young person, you're more likely to see more of the genocide than I, I, than I will, right? Uh, does this just kind of at all change your kind of feeling about the direction of the world, Rebecca? It's very depressing, and you'll have to hear more about how I feel about the direction of the world in the next segment. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to finish up a little bit on... Um, on climate change, and then we, and then we're going to have a special interview with Citizen Action member Tom Sieber, who's running the state assembly in, in in Northeast Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, this is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and joined again by Rebecca Lynch, the Associate Director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. So. We're about to have a special guest, uh, Tom Sieber, uh, Citizen Action member and, and State Assembly candidate in a critical race up in Northeast Wisconsin. But just finishing up on the climate news of the week, uh, it is absolutely stunning how much worse we thought it was in terms of timeline. We've known for a while, if we're fact-based, which progressives are, uh, that we're facing a catastrophe and not adapting to it in the least. And now we know we have much less time, that we need to radically restructure the economy and the whole energy system by 2030. And by the way, since we have such a, an unjust economy right now, it's an opportunity to make massive investments uh, that would actually create jobs for people who are denied jobs now, especially uh, people, in li- uh, people of color living in marginalized communities who are shut out of the economy, basically, and are poor at horrendous rates. Other research has come out on that recently that's gotten very little press. Uh, from the UW Cent, uh, Center for, for Research on Poverty. And so, uh, so we'll talk more about in a future week, but Citizen Action has been working to try to combine those two issues. And this week's news, which is all over the global headlines and even penetrating American headlines, tells us that we are, we are literally chicken little as a species if we don't start changing the way we operate dramatically and quickly. We now have a special guest on the phone. We have Tom Sieber, uh, who is a member of Citizen Action's Northeast Wisconsin Organizing Co-op, 
and is running for state assembly up in District 88. So before we get into you, Tom, since this show is statewide and is on the radio in Milwaukee and Madison areas, uh, just let people know before we get into you uh, where this district is and uh, who your opponent is and just basics about it, and then we'll get into why you're running. The district I'm running for is uh, Green Bay Suburbs. It's basically the east half of East Green Bay, uh, East Deep Pier, except for one ward, uh, Bellevue, Glenmore, and uh, six of the nine wards in Ledgeview. So as you can tell, it's a fairly gerrymandered district. And I'm running against uh, John Mako. He's a uh, two-term incumbent. Um, he is uh, chair of the Ways and Means Committee. Okay, and he I assume he's not really independent, that he votes the, the Walker-Voss kind of line. Oh, he, he sure is. He sure is. Um, I, I think one of his... Um, uh, one of his favorite bills is Assembly Bill 247, which is uh, what I've been calling the Wild West Carry, which removes any licensing requirements on concealed carry, so you don't even have to have a permit. Anybody, anytime, anywhere can carry uh, weapons, even on school grounds. So that's a, that's one of his uh, one of his bills. Yeah, and I recall when he ran originally that he's a vehement opponent of the Affordable Care Act and would like to see it repealed, which means he, he just like Leah Vukmi and others, is fine with legalizing pre-existing condition discrimination again and all the other outrages that existed before we had the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, absolutely. We just had a debate on Tuesday up here in the Green Bay area, and this topic came up, and uh, he was proud that the Assembly passed the bill, uh, but uh, I said it was uh, we should not be... Uh, involved in a lawsuit to overturn the Affordable Care Act until we have protections in this state, uh, ensuring that anybody with a pre-existing condition is protected. Uh, and he, you know, he didn't really answer the question. Right, uh, because they don't have an answer. That's why Leah Vukmir, we talked about earlier, actually claimed that pre-existing condition discrimination was never a problem during her debate with Tammy right. Baldwin. Uh, but enough about him. Uh, why don't we talk about you, Tom? What, what, what makes you feel compelled? I mean, it's tough to run for office uh, to take on this race. And uh, what are you running on? And, and uh, what do you hope to accomplish if you're elected? Well, absolutely. Uh, there's a number of things that we need to do in this state. Uh, I think it's clear from uh, most people in the state that we are uh, on the wrong direction. Uh, we've had a very strong bipartisan tradition in the state of two-thirds funding of our education. I think we need to get back to that. Uh, that should be one of our top priorities. Uh, with the lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act, we need to make sure that everybody uh, who's sick can see a doctor regardless of uh, whether you have a pre-existing condition or not. I just think it's a real travesty that you're working hard, you're playing by the rules, and then you get sick and all of that can go out the window uh, through no fault of your own. Um, and then the other thing I'm really hearing a lot about is uh, our infrastructure, the state, and condition of our roads and our bridges. Uh, as a county board supervisor, I see this firsthand. Uh, in the county, we were able to pass a plan to make sure our infra infrastructure is brought up to date. Um, however, the state continues to ne neglect that. And another big deal, hopefully across Wisconsin, but up here as well, is our, is our environment. Uh, we're right on the Fox River in the Bay. Uh, we need to make sure that um, you know, our, our air is clean and our water is clean. Um, our state parks are funded and we're adding to our public lands rather than reducing our public lands. Sure. Hey, Tom, it's Rebecca from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Um, those are all, I think, really important issues. And, you know, what's interesting is that we hear them from candidates throughout the state. Uh, and really, you know, folks generally in Wisconsin seem to be upset about the condition of the roads, concerned about funding for education, concerned about the environment, um, wherever you go, which I think says a lot about the impact of, you know, the control Republicans have had in the legislature and obviously Scott Walker's tenure. 
Um, but I was wondering, are there any issues that are specific to your district that people are really concerned about? And it could be, you know, things they're very upset about with the incumbent or things like specific to the communities or environment that you're in. But it's always kind of like really interesting to hear about, you know, the things that are unique to each district. This district isn't, um, isn't too unique. We have, um, it was basically a suburban district. So I think uh, uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of, a lot of movement and change in the suburban districts across the entire state. Um, one issue that uh, most people that aren't talking about at the doors, but I'm getting hit pretty hard, is our uh, Investment and Infrastructure Act. It was a 22, uh, $225 million investment in uh, the community that we did, as a, I did, and the county board did as a, um, uh, we passed the bill. Um, and that provided a lot of infrastructure going into our library and roads. And I'm getting, um, we've got about 100000 to hundred. About $100,000 in spending against us on that. Wow. Uh, it, was a, it was a tax that John Mako, my opponent, supported. Um, however, at the last debate, he just claims now that he no longer supports it, even or he, ne he never supported it, even though he's got a press release out and uh, we've got a picture of him at the press conference. So I think that's probably one issue that's um, become a big deal up here. Um, and it's something that we had both supported, but now he's, uh, he's running away from the support of it for some reason. That's really interesting. Um, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. So another question that I always like to ask everybody is, you know, tell me a little bit about the campaign, how it's going, how it's going on the doors, and how people can most help you now where, I think I said earlier in the show, we're less than four weeks from the election, so we're in the final stretch. Um, how can other Citizen Action Co-op members best support your campaign um, in, the, in terms of how your campaign is going? The campaign, I think, is going really well. Uh, you know, I've been on the county board. I've been involved in elections up here. We've got a great crew of volunteers that are out knocking doors every single day. And we're, we're talking to uh, a lot of people. And we're, we're hearing, you know, we're hearing about the education. We're hearing about the quality of education um, deteriorating. We're hearing about people not being able to afford health care for their health insurance premiums. Uh, we're hearing about them struggling, working two or three jobs, just trying to, just trying to make ends meet. Um, so I think there's, you know, we're hearing a lot of good things. We're hearing a lot of uh, a lot of issues that, that the voters agree with us on, um, and we you know we, we need help knocking doors. It of course you know it's a, it's a classic campaign. Uh, Jolie up here has been fantastic. Uh, we're we're doing we're doing really well. A lot of citizen action members have been out for us, but you know, we can always use a little bit more. We're expecting this to be one of the most competitive districts in the state. There's a reason why the outside interest groups are spending 100 150 thousand dollars already in this race, and we're still up four weeks to go. Um, it's because this race is going to be really close. Uh, we've been spotlighted uh, by the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee as one of seven assembly races in the state of Wisconsin that we need uh, to win in order to make sure the blue wave on November 6th is as big as possible. Um, so we need a lot of doors. Uh, we've hit 18,000 doors already. Uh, we're going back for our second pass, which is always a good thing, but we need to make sure that, um, you know, we, we know this race is close, so we need to make sure we get to those doors again. Uh, so we, we need help knocking doors, and then, of course, donations. Um, the, we can't uh, send our volunteers out without literature. We can't uh, have, have people asking us for yard signs and not give them any. Uh, so people can head over to our website at citizensforcieber.com -E and they can uh, find out a little bit more about us and volunteer, donate, whatever they'd like to do right there. I assume the Koch brothers are not supporting your campaign, so therefore, you know, you need average people to volunteer, uh, use some shoe leather to give their small, medium-sized donations, right, in order to succeed. This is the only way we can succeed against the billionaires is to actually make democracy work, right? That's absolutely correct. My opponent has taken a $500 uh, check from the Coke Industries pack, 
And every single dollar that's been spent in this race on my behalf has been logged on my campaign finance reports. So people know where my money's coming from, and I'm really proud of the support we've gotten in the area throughout the state and a couple national donors. Um, and, but we need more. We need a lot of help from throughout the state to make sure that we can uh, you know, push this race our way and that uh, we're right there. We just need a little bit more help to get there. So help push Tom over the top. And the great thing, Tom, when you're elected uh, is that you won't you won't owe anyone any favors other than uh, representing the common interest. Average people don't demand favors in return. They just want you to be a good legislator and act in the public interest. And so uh, please get out there and, and support Tom Sieber's race and, uh, and, you know, and also any race in your area as well. So, Tom, great interview. Thank you for joining us. We're out of time, uh, but really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, bring, the, bring this race home. We really look forward to working with you in the legislature next session. Thank you. With your help, we can certainly do it. Thanks, uh, Robert. Thanks, Rebecca. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank, Tom. Thanks, Tom. And that's all the time we have on Battleground Wisconsin. So until next week. Uh, get out there and get on the doors and, and win this election. The, the blue wave is us, not some natural phenomenon.